refined laps. This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. We're about to get into an episode I did as a guest on the B2B Made Simple podcast hosted by Sam Moss. It was a good one. We chopped up about organic social content strategy, metrics, and a lot of other stuff, and we're going to get into it right now. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. I have a really cool guest with me today, Chris Walker. If you've been uh, listening to anything in the B2B world, I'm sure you've heard of him, CEO of Refine Labs, and uh, my special guest today. So Chris, thanks for joining me. Sam, awesome to be on here. It's been a long time of interacting with you um, over LinkedIn and at our Demand Gen Lives. And so excited to be on the show. I appreciate it, man. Well, it's, it's good to have you here. To kick it off, I'm always curious, uh, living in Boston, I, I'm trying to think of a question that hasn't been asked before, at least that I've heard. You know, I've listened to the podcast for a while. Are you a sports fan at all? I know you played sports, but do you follow pro sports at all being a New England guy? So I'm a, a big American football watcher. The other sports, I this is weird, but <laughs> the other sports have too many games to follow. Like football, I just yeah. need to be able to like hear Sunday or Monday or sometimes it's Thursday actually. Um, and so was big Patriots fan during the dynasty. Great time to be a New England football fan. And uh, recently have uh, kind of followed Tom Brady to Tampa Bay until, uh, until he retires. Right? <laughs> so. Um, a lot of yeah, a lot yeah. of respect for uh, Mr. Brady, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So that's good to know. It's it's fun to hear. Okay, so you know, Patriots fan and also a Tom Brady fan. So that's cool to see. But awesome. Let's dive into like marketing. Obviously, this is your specialty. Love to talk about it. Um, my my first question for you is: Do you find that there's a difference between a strong brand and a brand that's executed well, and then properly executed demand gen? No. I think they go, I think they go hand in hand. I think Mm -hmm. that like some people want to put stuff in marketing in little buckets through the idea of continuous specialization, specifically in SaaS and tech. And I've been pushing very hard about the the holistic marketer, the marketer that can do everything, Mm -hmm. product strategy, demand gen, brand and, and a podcast ops and general like pipeline optimization, looking at data, like it's not that hard to know how to do all four of those things. And that's basically all of marketing. And so I believe that you execute you sh- in a proper way, you should execute brand and demand together. They're actually the same thing in my view. It's just whether you're, what type of content you're creating and then whether or not you're paying to distribute it. Mm-hmm. So what kind of content would that look like? Can you give us an example of that? It can be, it can be a ton of content, right? So like we... Um, for our like our customers, our customer might have they might have a podcast going. Subject matter expert runs the podcast. They have events that fuel it, just like our our sessions. They distribute it on LinkedIn, like and you have a organic content flow inside of social that I believe is just far more effective than writing blogs for for search. And then when you move into paid, you can distribute some of that content optimized for the channel via paid, but you can also add in product marketing, social proof, um, some forms of like boosted PR. There are a lot of things that you can do. And and so um, that's sort of how I am looking at it. It's like defining what type of content you're building and then how it's getting built and then defining how you're going to get your audience to consume it. Mm-hmm. So in your shoes, right? So let's say there's a company that is doing something similar to what you're doing. So you you have a podcast, you have Demand Gen Live, um, you're creating great content and you've gotten feedback that it's really good content. 
Now, let's say you have 3,000 followers or 1,500 followers on LinkedIn, and you don't have a ton of organic reach right now just because of the size of the audience, and you want to see results now, would you recommend a company take some of those video clips and put paid behind it, whether that's on LinkedIn or wherever your audience is? Would that be a good strategy? Yeah, actually, I I did a consulting session this morning. I recommended that strategy to a seed stage company. I think that's a I think that's a logical strategy. There's also the strategy that I think a lot of people don't know a lot about, which is just how to accelerate LinkedIn, mm-hmm. right? Like developing your audience proactively and posting more frequently. I don't I don't think a lot of people like people know that those are the things. I talk about them a lot, but I don't see a lot of people doing them. Yeah. So, like, if you have three thousand followers and people are saying that they're liking it, then do more of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed, I, I, I'm sure you've gotten this question before, but a cap on what you can be posting. So for me, I'm really trying, or I, I do once a day during the weeks. And then on the weekends, it'll be like in the winter when people aren't really outside. And that seems to be like a good threshold for us at least. But on a personal page from what you found, obviously do like five days a week, once a day. <laughs> do you recommend more than that? Like how do we, you know, get that growth to accelerate? Yeah. So I think that the acceleration, do you post video or is it text? Uh, it's a combination of both. Yeah. And so I, the way to make that go faster would be to, to that I've done before, especially early on is video in the morning, text post in the afternoon, like three to 5 PM Eastern. Mm-hmm. And that gives you another post, especially if some of the audience is international, like it covers several different time zones. I think that's a good strategy. Mm-hmm. But okay, two, two it- is the max. And I think two and I and I think mixing up the post type helps too. Okay. So something that we started doing on my personal page, we're trying to experiment, right? So yeah, I being I'm not exactly a marketer, right? And I don't have the background of a B2B marketer, but we sell to B2B SaaS because we do website development, right? So mm-hmm. with that being said, we have a podcast where we interview B2B marketers and get their input. And I'm trying to test some things out where I put their content on my personal feed. And then we're trying to promote the podcast as much as possible. And when we do that, we see obviously like, Hey, we're offering value. We're seeing the numbers increase in the podcast downloads and listens, which is great. But -hmm. then again, it's like, they're not seeing much of me, even though it's my brand. And what you said about like, Hey, maybe try doubling up with the text posts. Maybe that's where I explore like my side, because that's what I did for the longest time. And it was, I felt like it was either going to be my content or the subject matter experts content from our podcast. So I think that's a great combination of both what you just suggested. And and then pass the clips to all of your guests. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. you might be already doing that already, but like the, that's a really good channel for new user acquisition, especially if your guests have a good following. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. So for you guys early on, did you put any paid behind your content? So whether it's your videos or case studies or whatever it is uh, that you guys are doing, do you have a paid strategy or is it hundred percent organic? No, we don't have a paid strategy because we don't need it. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and, and some people push back on me on this one of like, Oh, like you're offering like paid for companies, but then you don't do it. And it's like, I know because we actually execute the strategy at a level that's unparalleled to companies so that we don't need to do it. And we have all these SaaS companies that can't figure out how to get a podcast done in 12. They've been trying to do it for 18 months. Can't get it done. They can't post on LinkedIn. They can't get stuff on board. And therefore, you need to use paid, right? And so there will be a time that we're going to enter paid. It's probably inside of the next six months. 
to scale. But at the moment, the organic's working so good and customer acquisition is not an issue for you, for us. And so we, we just don't use it. So when you say you are going to explore it, are you going to accelerate the content that you already create as in your videos? Or are you going to explore more options? What will that look like for you? Content amplification and distribution. And the second part is that we are uh, launching a product. And so when we launch that product, we will have a a recurring revenue model, you know, high like mid mid tier ACV, 30 to 100K ACV product. And then we will be able to run our demand model, paid and organic, against a product and show companies how well it works. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to LinkedIn, there's obviously a plethora of video content and text posts. I think it's the majority of what we see. When you are thinking about content, are there other ideas and other avenues that companies can go when it comes to either redistributing content from a podcast or even just getting stuff in front of buyers? What would you suggest for companies? Besides text and video? Yeah. I mean, from a podcast per se. So the, the thing that I think people should think about here is not about whether it's audio or written or video. It's about how to make what you're doing already way better. Hmm. And so, you know, the restrictions on sitting in front of a Zoom all day and recording podcasts is over. Can you get into a studio? Could you film B-roll? Could you do something in a different setting? There's, could you put together better post-production so it's more entertaining? There are a ton of things that are open in video right now that I don't see people capitalizing on. And like, that's what, that's where we're going. Like the idea is to consistently be ahead of where people are. And so we were ahead when we started demand gen live and we started posting video on LinkedIn and the, and we actually started moving into like vlogs, in-person video, high production film pre pandemic. Um, and it was working really well for us. And then obviously that stopped and we couldn't do it. And so now, now that we can safely, we're going to get back onto that train and continue to iterate and optimize the video strategy. So I don't think it's about thinking about a different medium. I think it's about how, how to use the medium in a different way or a better way. Got it. So it's executing on what you're already doing better. Almost like it's not stacking the growth, but it's just doing a better job of what you're already doing, right? Yeah. LinkedIn text posts are like my path. LinkedIn text posts are working. Okay, now let's go into a recorded Zoom. Okay, now let's go into somebody with a camera instead of our webcam in a recorded Zoom. Now let's go out into the world and film us at events or with customers or or whatever. And so mm-hmm. kind of like that path of basically video marketing maturity. Yeah. So obviously now restrictions have pretty much lifted in the States, which is great. So for you guys, this is like the green light for some of the things you've been wanting to do for a while. Can you let us know like what are those things when it comes to reiterating what you're already doing and making it better? Yeah. So in the next 90 days, I'll be speaking at somewhere between three and five, like large scale marketing events. We will basically talk about the um, alternative to a building a trade show booth that we're going to do at every one of these conferences. And so instead of buying a booth, create content and get a speaker slot. Let's call that step one speaker slot. Step one, We're going to have a video production team there. We're going to set up in a suite of a hotel. We're going to invite a ton of people that are influential that are at that conference to do podcasts and videos after I do my talk. 
and we're going to create a robust amount of content that would be hard to replicate in an in-person setting. And the reason that we can do it is because everyone's in the same place. And so that's the that's where we're going to take the video content to. And then we're going to have a videographer there, hopefully some B-roll, some other shots that make it more entertaining. People get to see more of the conference. Like that's the, that's the vision. That's awesome. So when it comes to quality... I think that there's an argument out there. It's like, well, it's either quantity versus quantity, uh, quality versus quantity when it comes to content. Um, you said you're going to set up in a hotel suite and invite the guests over. It's not going to be this Hollywood production necessarily. It's just two people on a mic, possibly video, right? And that's how you guys are going to do it. Yeah, and I, I mean the quality versus quantity argument is ridiculous, or, yeah, or that. In order to make more quantity, it's at the expense of quality. That's just not true. I think that my content shows that. And I think that you could see that from other companies where they post one blog a month and it sucks. Mm -hmm. And so these two things are independent. You can create a high quantity of high quality stuff. And high quality, in my view, is number one, high quality of information. Number two, high quality of entertainment. Number three, high quality of production in that order. And so it's more about what is the audience getting out of it, not what camera lens we used. Yeah, absolutely. So LinkedIn, I, you did a keynote on this. Um, it was probably about a week ago, just like the notion that LinkedIn is dead, right? And I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's a little bit tougher to stand out if you're just creating crap. Um, what would you say to that? I guess it's kind of reiterating what you talked about the other day, but I'm curious. The opportunity is definitely not over but it certainly is harder to break out than it was two years ago. That's how all social platforms work. Try going over to Instagram right now and building, a, building an audience to 10,000 followers. It is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the way that social platforms work. And so as content grows in the, in the channel and it becomes quote unquote more competitive when you're competing for attention essentially, then you actually need to have a good strategy. And so at the beginning of social platforms, a lot of people win with a bad strategy. And then over time, as it becomes more competitive, people that have a bad strategy don't win anymore. The people that were winning don't because there's good content and it gets more competitive and the people that have a good strategy win. And so if you're entering into LinkedIn right now, thinking that you're just going to be able to put up some memes or some text posts and stand out, you're probably going to fail you're probably not going to get the results that you want. And so it comes down to having a comprehensive strategy on how to win in a social network. And I think something that people don't necessarily know about me is like, this isn't my first rodeo. Like I've built a, built a company page on Facebook to 50,000 followers. Mm -hmm. I've built uh, an e-commerce company on Instagram to 10,000 followers, leveraging just content in content every day, engagement um, and influencer marketing and have now built on LinkedIn. This is not so like if you haven't gone through those processes and you don't understand the dynamics of social channels, you are at also at a disadvantage. Um, and that's why I say like, just because like Facebook's organic reach declined five years ago, doesn't mean that all of that effort was wasted. Mm -hmm. It gave me all of the knowledge and insights to go and win on the next one and then go and win on the next one. And so while other people continue to build their email list, um, <laughs> we'll just drop into another social platform, squeeze it for all that it's worth. The the brand value that gets taken that gets created out of that execution over a two, three, five, seven year period of time doesn't go away. 
mm-hmm. right? The impact that was made during that time of people consuming your content for an extended period of time doesn't leave because organic reach came down, went down. You just need to go figure out a different place where people are paying attention and do, do something that fits that channel. So those are my feelings on like where LinkedIn is right now. And also just like, just understanding how the dynamics of organic social works. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's important to remember that these, these platforms will go up and down. And like you said, you, you're there, you win for the time being for as long as you need to, you're building the, the brand behind it. And then you move on to the next thing. And I think what's what you guys are doing really well. And I think more companies need to think about is not only are you getting a huge amount of exposure on LinkedIn, but it's, it's pumping people to your podcast, which there's already like zero organic reach when it comes to a podcast. It's word of mouth mm-hmm. and maybe they'll stum- stumble across you on Spotify. Very rarely does that happen. So whether the, the LinkedIn disappears tomorrow, you still have built a tribe through your podcast and then you find the next social platform and then you're pumping more people to the podcast. And mm-hmm. I, I would think that podcasting is going to be around for a while, a lot more than the influxes of these social media platforms, right? So that's what we should ultimately be pumping people to. Totally. And then I like the, the quote unquote competitiveness of podcasts will grow too. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily like a reach issue, but there will be more people competing with shows for the attention of those people. And so it becomes more competitive for the people that are complaining that LinkedIn organic reach went down. Like I bet most of the people that are complaining also run a blog, Mm -hmm. right? The blogs have become more competitive over the past 15 years to a place where it's really hard. But for some reason, people love to complain about LinkedIn's algorithm and not scrutinize what's going on in search. If you were to talk to a SaaS company today, right? And they had no strategy when it came to LinkedIn and a podcast, they were brand new, whether they have a head of marketing or it's a VP of marketing. And you sat down and said, this is a step-by-step plan of what you need to do to execute this well. This is my, my my Chris Walker rundown. What would that look like? So first off, I do this already, right? Like I've given I've given the rundown for a very long time, and I also just I I show it through the actions about what companies should be doing, and the, almost nobody actually does it. There's there's some people out there that are doing it and winning, which is amazing. It is not the lack of information that of why people don't do it. It's the it's the lack of an understanding of, and a respect for how customers buy. It's a lack of understanding of customers and a lack of commitment to something, and the inability to understand the differences in how attribution works in 2021 versus 2011. And so that's why people fail at a podcast, not because they don't know how to record a podcast. Mm-hmm. But when it, anyway, when we move into this, the, this thing, the prescribed like strategy is very clear. Run an event once a week that people love, that people come to where you're not trying to sell to them. They participate in some type of Q&A format. You record it. It goes into a podcast, you cut it up, you distribute it on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, you have a proactive audience development strategy where you're trying to add somewhere between 30 and 100 people to your audience per day. You're also posting content frequently. That content then gets engaged with, which creates organic amplification, which allows more people to see the content, more people then follow you. It's a revolving loop. 
um, inside of the comments of your LinkedIn post, you drop the podcast link as a user acquisition flow to the podcast. The podcast needs to deliver. If that's the case, you're not collecting an email address here. You actually need people to like the podcast, come back several times, and then share it with other people because the main goal of that initial user acquisition is for people to talk about it and start getting you new users without you needing to post on LinkedIn in order to get them. Like that's the comprehensive strategy, get that to work, then figure out how to do more of the top level content to drive stuff toward the end. So you mentioned the lack of understanding and that's what's holding a lot of these companies and marketers back from doing that. Why is there this lack of understanding and what does that actually look like? It's not a lack of understanding about what to do. It's higher level than that. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of the things that people get caught in is that they obsess around creating metrics versus creating an impact for their buyer. And so I made that switch in 2016. And with the, with the core thought process around like, our product works. I know that it works. I know who it works for. I know how it works. I know what situations people are in before they're ready to buy our product. I know all these things. And so all I need to do is be able to educate those people on their current situation and that there's a better solution and do it in a way that they like so that they understand that what's going on in their current situation and that there is a solution. And then they come to us to solve that solution in a way that makes business sense for both parties. That's pretty simple. But mo- most marketers can't get over that for one, re- one because of the metrics, two, because they actually don't understand the customer well enough to know those things, three, because they can't create information that helps people move psychologically from one stage to another. Like Those are the reasons why people fail at this. And the, and the last one is because a lot of people are, are stuck in this marketing. Sh- I, I should launch something and marketing should happen right now. I should get a bunch of leads. I should... Where's the activity? Not, not the idea of how things actually work in complex sales and just general relationships about how people buy stuff. Like It doesn't happen like that. You can collect email addresses that way if you want so that your sales team can try and filter through people that don't want to buy. We don't do that because it's a highly inefficient way and it creates sales and marketing misalignment. And so we don't do that. And so the alternative would be to go out and educate people so that when they're ready to buy, they come and talk to you and your sales team closes them super fast. Do you think that's because marketers maybe have some laziness or impatience when it comes to some of these things? Are those two words that would kind of describe what's going on? I've been thinking about this a lot. And so when I, when I figured out all of the things that I figured out at a business that I venture funded company series D that I worked at in 2017, 2018, the things that I needed to do to overcome the internal barriers from executives in order to run the experiments to prove how well it worked and then continue to work through with executives through a lot of friction to figure out how to, to figure out how to scale it to a place where it's driving millions of dollars of revenue. I recognize that most people will never go through that process because you risk getting fired frequently. Hmm. And so I don't think this is a, you can put part of it on marketers, but I believe this is an executive level issue. I think there's two issues here. One, executives don't create restrictions and constraints. So marketers can't do any of those things and how they set their metrics and how they set their time windows and how they allocate budgets and general expectations of what marketing should do versus sales. And the other one is that 
marketers don't actually know what to do instead. So they don't push the envelope because they're going to risk if they go and put stick their neck out for something, it doesn't work. They're going to be in a pretty bad spot. And so there's, there's two things here. And I think that's why people don't move on and keep running the same stuff. Mm -hmm. So if it's at the C-suite level or the executive level, as a marketer, if you're coming into a new org, what are some questions that we should actually ask to identify if this is going to be a great place that complements the skills and the beliefs that you have, the Chris Walker beliefs, right? Or if there are some red flags, like what should be, what should we be looking for in that interview? Or even before that, to be honest. Yeah. So I think a couple of good things to do, like I can tell pretty easily just by looking at the internet about whether or not I want to work for a company, just look mm-hmm. at their current marketing mix. So look at, look at their marketing mix. You can go in and see what they're doing on LinkedIn ads. You can go and see what they're doing on Facebook and Instagram ads. You can use SEMrush to get an idea of what they're doing on paid search. You can understand SEO. You can look at their website. You can look at what their executives and employees do on social networks. That'll give you a pretty good understanding about whether or not they believe in marketing. So that's a good level one as a filter. If you're in the conversation, there's questions that you can ask, but I think this is more of a of a feeling. So when I, when I go in to an interview and I've done this a bunch of times and I'll tell the story afterwards, like after I had a ton of success driving millions of dollars of revenue for that series D company, and I knew that the model was unique and I knew that it worked way better than what any company was doing right now. When I went to go and interview for other companies, I wasn't going in like asking them questions about how they're doing stuff. I was basically pitching what we're going to do. We're going to come in we're going to put together a video podcast. We're going to find the organic social channel that works. We're going to add paid, targeted paid into the mix. We're going to measure on qualified pipeline and revenue. This is how we're going to do it. And nobody hired me. And it's the most fascinating thing. And so, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I started this company because of that situation. And even funnier that there's several companies that interviewed me that are now our customers. And so... There's just a lot of a lot of interesting a lot of interesting things going on there. What was your what was your original question? So the original question was, what are some things that we should watch oh, out for yeah, pre-interview so, yeah. or even couple, in the interview? Like, what's yeah, a red a flag? Questions that you could ask definitely. Um, so, like going in and pitching your strategy is a good move because if if people are not aligned in the way that you're thinking about marketing, then they won't hire you, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you're going into an interview as a marketer, especially if you're a strong marketer, you're not begging to get the job. You're going and they're saying, This is how I see the world of marketing and trying to see if there's a fit. And so that's how I would go about pitching it. And then questions that you can ask How do you score your marketing team? Mm-hmm. MQLs, SQLs, SQOs, revenue. What is it? How do you allocate budget between marketing and sales? What's the budget allocation? Some companies that I've worked at are 90. 10, 90% of the budget goes to sales, not interested in working at those companies. What do you, what's the overall goal of marketing? How do you, how do you see the marketing team scale, like scaling over the next 12 months? What other, what other resources do you need? And then what are you doing in marketing right now that works the best? And those will tell you a really clear story. I don't remember all of them and you might not either. (laughs) But let's walk through, like, the first one I have is like MQL, SQL, whatever it is. Um, What should be the proper scoring? And then if you remember some of those questions, like, what should be the answers to those in your eyes? Yeah, so 
the major red flag on measurement is if it's uh, leads, MQLs, cost per lead, okay. anything That's like that. Um, another one that I, I consider a red flag, other people may not, but I do is if it's on, on influenced revenue. Um, influence revenue to me indicates a um, sales focused organization. So I'm looking for marketing sourced qualified pipeline and revenue. That's the, that's the indicator. And when you look at revenue, it's the net new contribution of revenue sourced through marketing against other activities. And then obviously we're going to look at the scalability and growth of those channels and the sales cycles and win rates between those different sources, like business metrics that allow marketers to set to go back to executives and say, we're generating 50% of net new revenue and our budget is 15% of the sales budget. Can we move some money around so that we can continue to scale this organization? And when you use influence or you use leads, you don't, you have no shot at you at having that conversation. And so that's the reason that I look at that. Um, let me think about what other questions that I ask. It was, uh, uh, it was the budget allocation between sales and marketing. Yep. What would be a safe number for that? It really depends on, on the company, but I'm looking for at least 70, 30. Mm. Um, I even think, I think, I even think 70, 30 is, is misaligned with how the world works today. But I think for a marketer, that's what you're going to find at most companies. And I think that's a safe bet. Like, so if I was running the company, it would be 30, 70, mm-hmm. 70 would yeah, go to marketing. the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even, maybe even more dependent could be even more than that. So, and, and the reason that, that it should be that way is because marketing can get people to the point where they are ready to buy. And it's just way more efficient for marketing to do that than for sales to do that to people that don't want to buy. And so if you can figure out how to do marketing, it's a way better organizational position to be in when a bunch of people are coming to you saying, Hey, I would love to work with you versus you having a farm of 10 SDRs cold calling people, hoping that one person answers your call per, per day and you book a meeting. When you look at some of these organizations that are 90% sales or the budget is 90% going to sales and then 10% to marketing, do you see that there's hope for them? from a marketer's perspective, or do you think like, look, you've been down this path, the executive team, they're not going to change at this point. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't work in that company because it's a, it's a clear indicator of the mindset of the people that control the budgets. And so, and what I've learned over time is you are not going to change those, those minds in any reasonable amount of time. And you're going to spend years fighting the friction of that versus just going to a place to work where people already believe in it. You can go and innovate. You're going to be way farther in your career. You're going to do way better work when you're just with people that are aligned. I'm amazed at, we have about 35, 40 people that work here now, how aligned everyone is and how much faster and how much better everyone works, how much faster you go as an organization, how much better people work together, how much happier employees are when everyone's aligned around the same, around the same things. And I don't think that executive alignment is common anymore. For most of the companies that I've worked at, there's been clear misalignment in terms of go-to-market strategy from CEO to CRO to CMO to CFO. And that's, that's an issue. Why do you think there is no alignment there? Because the world has clearly changed and a lot of people don't know how to adjust to it. And so when you don't know how to adjust to it, 
you can either try to adjust and move into a place where you're not sure what to do, or you can stay where you are and stay safe and just deal with continuously rising customer acquisition costs and lose, you know, win rates going down. And some companies do that. And just burn through the VC money, right? <laughs> yeah. Essentially. I want to, I want to go back to, you know, what we were talking about a little bit before with, with platforms. I'm really interested to get your take on if you think there is a B2B platform out there um, that B2B buyers are starting to consume content on that has some potential for organic reach. Or even if you see one coming down like the pipe, not saying that we need to drop everything like everyone did to go to Clubhouse and then watch it bomb. But is there anything that you have your feelers out on that you're kind of like, oh, you know what? There could be something here. So the if you're thinking new platforms, the obvious one is TikTok. TikTok's going to become Instagram. Mm-hmm. So that's going to that's going to happen. Um, if I mean, <laughs> some would argue that it's already there, right? Like it's yeah. already there, but it just needs to like it took time from it to go from 25 year olds that use Instagram to now having you know the main post being selfies from 50 year old women right so like there's there's some there's some time in the middle that's going to hap- that's going to need to happen but winning there as a b2b company right now it's obvious that that's, that's what's going to happen so that's the obvious one in terms of new platform mm-hmm. but for most companies like when it comes to when when people ask me what's the new thing where should i go the things that i ask are how how are you doing on facebook ads What's your LinkedIn strategy? How is your podcast going? Why are we why are we looking for new channels when you can't do any of the ones that work right now well? Mm-hmm. And so I try and encourage people because like the opportunities that are in front of B2B companies are so obvious. The best places to do marketing are so obvious. And and they can't do those well, so they think that they're going to move on to Clubhouse or TikTok and win and mm-hmm. right? Like one out of a thousand companies might get success doing with that strategy. But like, that's the way that I look at it. Like, it's almost like you need to, you need to, you need to demonstrate that you have the right, you have the right mindset, you have the right process, you have the right talent to go and execute on channels before you start reaching Mm -hmm. for new ones. Mm -hmm. If you can't, if you can't stand out on LinkedIn as a B2B company, then you're not going to on TikTok because, well, one, it's, it's pretty B2C driven right now, but it's going to be even harder because it's so consumer focused. So always look at what you're doing now. And if you you suck on LinkedIn, then obviously that needs to be addressed before you ever look for something new, right? That's what I would recommend. Some people like there's there's the one-off, right? There's that one company yeah. that like didn't have anything working and went into TikTok and had a lot of success in B2B, right? But what I'm saying is for the audience that that usually is not what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another tactical question for you uh, in regards to LinkedIn, obviously you, you kind of, I don't know if you started the trend with the videos. I mean, you were one of the first that I saw and they're just clean. They have the headline, the captions, and then that's about it, right? You execute really well on them. And then of course, everyone wants to do them and they're flooding the feed. They look a lot the same, right? With that being said, do you have new ideas to stay innovative from not necessarily like a design side, but when you see that a lot of people are doing the same things that you are, is that an indicator to you to switch it up? 
Um, yeah. And so my, my format isn't new. I created this format I've been using in 2017 to run Facebook ads to emergency room nurses with this header and caption format. Right. So like, mm-hmm. and then I just saw it, you know, we went, ran the video with no captions and no headline, got some data, added the captions, got some data that was better, added the headline, got way better data. And so we put that together, have used it in LinkedIn and been quite successful um, I don't see more people posting video in the same format as me as competition or bad. I don't see it as mm-hmm. bad. The, the information wins. And I my belief is that there's almost nobody out there that can do it at the level of quality and consistency that I'm doing it at. So mm-hmm. that's good. When we think about the the formats, it's moving more, like we talked about earlier, it's moving more into the entertaining Better, better post-production editing, more entertaining, like live action that I'm not sitting in front of my computer. Like those are the things that we're looking at right now. Um, Cause there's only so much that you can do in the channel, right? Like you got video marketing inside of LinkedIn. There's a 10 minute limit. You need something to get people to stop and engage. You need to have captions because a lot of people don't read uh, or listen to them with audio on. There's a lot of dynamics that create, create constraints. And so those are the things that we're working on. Yeah. And to reiterate on your point, you can't explore the new options of engagement, whether it's moving, um, kind of upping like the production side until you've actually executed well on a simple video with a headline and captions, right? Totally. And then when we introduce a, like when we go to some different type of video, we're not going to switch. We're not going to stop doing the stuff that's working. We're going to introduce one concept where maybe introduce it on a, monthly basis or a week bi-weekly basis and and test against all the things that we're doing right now. If we see better signals, we're going to move it more into the mix. And that's the way that we that's the way that we execute demand gen for you know large scale SaaS organizations and how how we execute for our own company. It's find something that's working, push it up while the while you're scaling that up, you're finding the new next avenues for growth. It might be doing something better in a channel that you're already doing or it might be finding a new, a new channel. Mm-hmm. One last thing before we go here, you had mentioned, you know, previously it's pretty well published, like the company page side of LinkedIn, which I, I do like, and we're trying to build ours. It's nowhere near, um, <laughs> huge at all, mm-hmm. but it's a, a fun little experiment. So when you say that you are trying new things, I think you've heard that, or I think I've heard you say that the company page is kind of your place to play around with that, right? You start there. And then if it, if it takes off, then you start introducing it into the mix of like your personal page. Um, so initially we thought it was going to a place to test concepts that would then mm-hmm. move into my page. That's not actually how it's working right now, which is totally cool. We changed our minds, but the strategy on the company page is, is has a couple of different use cases. So one is that my belief, and I've just seen it before in social platforms that at some point LinkedIn can change the algorithm and prioritize company page posts. And so if they did that, we want to be able to have operational capabilities to execute a good following and a full, you know, full process to be able to go and win there. I think companies that are not looking at it that way are just short-sighted because none of the it's not a lot of work. We're already creating all the information. We're already doing it. We put a little copy and then and then post the video and do that frequently. It's just not a lot of work. We're doing most of the work anyway. And so we want to be ready if that change happens, which I don't know if it's going to happen, right? Like I'm just, it could. The second thing is that at the moment with 10,000 followers, it drives a hundred thousand organic impressions per month, thousands of views to our website. It's a 
contributor of our strategy, um, a contributor to the results, and it will continue. It's continuing to grow. And so, out of all the things that we could do, we could go out and write some blogs. We could go out and send some emails. We go out and do some cold outbound sales to people. We're gonna build on the we're gonna build on the company page because it's just a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, and the third point is that I want to show companies what a LinkedIn company page should do because almost none execute properly. They it's it's selfish PR plus pushing product that nobody engages with that they put in some Slack channel to get a bunch of people to like so it looks like it's getting a lot of likes, but every person that liked it works at the company. <laughs> and so there's there's a better way to execute there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. And you guys are doing it right. And I think you're creating, again, another model for people to follow and see, okay, well, Chris and his team have done a really good job with this as well. Why not take some ideas and implement it on our own? So you guys are absolutely killing it for sure. Chris, I appreciate you you joining me here for a podcast. Uh, before we go, can you give us like the the elevator pitch of what you do at Refine Labs? I know it's it's really well published, but you never know who's listening. Cool. Yeah. So at Refine Labs, we currently work with over thirty enterprise SaaS B two B organizations to transform their their demand generation programs, going from high volume lead gen that that is super low efficiency and creates sales sales and marketing alignment to demand gen, which is way more scalability, lower customer acquisition costs, and overall better performance. When our when we assess our customers six months after working with us versus the six months prior to working with us, on average, we're seeing a 76% increase in marketing source qualified pipeline. And we get that done through changing the mindset, doing things that, that other companies will never do because they're handcuffed to attribution, prioritizing messaging and creative and distribution, and optimizing pipeline based on our experience working with a lot of different companies. And so that's what we, uh, that's what we do here. Cool. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Chris, appreciate you joining me. It's always good to have uh, someone with a, a nice level head come on the show who uh, you know knows what he's talking about. So I appreciate you joining me here, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Good to see you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.